Hi, I'm Steve Leard, and welcome to Cover Meeting, the book cover design podcast where we speak with designers about their work, the industry, and everything else in between. Today, we're joined by Michaela Alcano, a book cover designer and illustrator who relocated from her home in Sydney, Australia to London in 2013. Michaela was selected as one of the bookseller's rising stars of 2021, and then a year later named Designer of the Year at the British Book Awards and featured in the bookseller's 150 Most Influential People in Publishing. She has almost a decade of experience working for both Penguin Random House and HarperCollins, before venturing into the world of freelancing in 2018. Her work is characterised by a unique blend of creativity and artistry that's shaped by her love of travel, mixed cultural heritage and an appreciation of the fine arts. All of this ensures Michaela's work is always a feast of the eyes with its often complex yet beautiful illustrations. Michaela joined me from her home in London, which also doubles as her workspace. Thanks so much for joining me, Michaela. It's 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 really kind of you to agree to do it. I think um, it's such a great idea. Oh, brilliant! Thank you. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully, other people think that too and listen. Kind of doing research for the for the podcast, um, mm. I reached out to quite a few people who do podcasts themselves, and I was given um, a great piece of advice by Katie Cowan, who oh, runs yeah. Creative Boom. And presents their their really great podcast is and that's not to focus too much on a designer's journey, mm. but I thought I'd make a slight exception to, for yourself because your journey is quite contrasting to to most people's in it because you have made that that leap from Sydney to the UK, mm. and it's you know it's paid off spectacularly. But um, <laughs> but how did you how did you find that transition coming over from Sydney and then over to the UK and and what was your what was your motivation really for for doing so? Um, interesting. No one has ever phrased it like that. Um, firstly, everyone was moving to Melbourne. Um, I would say a lot of my uni mates were just already stunned to talk about moving to Melbourne just because that was it. It was becoming an open space for new and up and coming designers, while Sydney was a very closed space. Um, I also did a gap year before I went to uni in Oxford um, uh, for a year, just doing kind of like working at a deli, catering, and you know, traveling yeah. Europe. Um, but it proved to be a very difficult year because when you're 18 and you realize life is adulting <laughs> in amongst everything else, um, I wanted to prove to myself that I could come back here and kind of really thrive. Um, so, and my mum, so my my mum is Argentinian German and my dad is Chilean, um, but my mum never gave up her German passport. So okay. back then we were able to get our German passport and just move over, you know, before the Brexit days. Um, <laughs> Cheers, Brexit. Yeah, thanks, Brexit. But I can't <laughs> kick me out now. I've been here too long. Um, yeah, and no, I, actually I once said that to, as a joke to a um police security kind of passport control in yeah. Miami airport in the States and I got detained. So, <laughs> so doesn't have much of a sense of humor on yeah. that side. <laughs> so now I need to be careful where I say that kind of joke. Um, yeah, so then I moved here. I didn't know anyone. I knew one person and in London and that was it. Um, and I 
applied to every job that had the word design in it. And um, by chance, I just fell into um, getting an interview at Transworld. Um, and yeah, the rest is history. The rest I, is history. To be honest, no one had ever told me that this was a job. So no, if you could I think tell that's me, common, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> if you tell me I can read and draw and design all day and get paid for it, I'd be like, what? what Where do I catch? sign up? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it was. You know, I believe in fate. So I believe, you know, it was a, um, it was definitely some form of fate. Um, you know, dropping me into something that was quite. Um, perfect for me yeah and it's it must be amazing really that you know given slightly different circumstances everything you've done since could have not have happened it's it's yeah. it's crazy really it's like a sliding doors moment yeah. really <laughs> it really um, is and I think yeah. you know if someone called me for an interview and gave me a job before Transwell did I think you would have done yeah yeah I would have been in a completely different job I just knew that when I finished uni because I did digital media so it was Everything from like film, photography, 3D animation, um, graphic design. Um, so I could have just gone into anything really. And um, it was just lucky that I just fell into it. Um, but I would say the first few years I didn't love it um, because I think, you know, now being surrounded by a couple of juniors that I mentor, yeah. I forgot how hard it is to be a junior designer. <laughs> but you're learning so much, aren't you? You're, yeah. really, you're learning on the job, essentially. hundred yeah. percent. And you, you're learning terminology that yeah. we kind of throw around in publishing um like a mechanical or a cover layer you know those yeah. kind of things that so you're learning that side of things you're learning new systems in terms of how to get your emails and stuff and then you're also learning the whole design side of things and genres and um audiences and markets and where you're going to sell it and so it's mad i feel it's quite I feel, intense yeah. time. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so happy i'm not a junior anymore <laughs> <laughs> So you worked in-house for about, what, five, six years, was it? Seven, seven, seven years. years. Yeah. Just just over seven years, I think. Because um, it was about three and a half in Transworld and three and a half. Don't ask me why it's always three and a half. Um, <laughs> in HarperCollins. And then Great. I decided to just take the leap and see where it took me. What was the um, what was the thinking behind going freelance? Because it's, it's, it's you know, I haven't done it myself. It's... Mm. It's a big step going from, you know, regular paychecks and employment into the kind of big, bad, scary world of freelancing. So what what, what was what was your motivation for, for doing that? Countless things. Uh, diplomatic answer, I would say that there are certain things that I wasn't very happy with in-house. Um, yeah. But then also a year before that, I was already starting to gear up to go freelance. So I think everything kind of worked in its favor of kind of right timings. Um, and I think also I managed to design a cover called The Binding just yep. before I went freelance. And that was probably my first cover that I was known for. Um, yep. And that really helped me kind of like... Take your work out to, yeah. to art directors and, and, yeah. and, get, and get more work. It helped you a lot. I think yeah. it's important when you are, you know, preparing to go freelance to, to get those those type of covers out you know out there and so you can give really clear examples of what you think you can add yeah and I think also you know one good thing about my old art director was she she really um encouraged us to do all the genres so we had a kind of um a good rounded knowledge of how to design for everything um and 
Yeah, I think also I don't underplay the fact that I worked my butt off to kind of get face-to-face meetings. I went to New York and tried to meet, you know, clients in the U.S., um, and, you know, send my portfolio to everyone's email that I had. And um, and then from then on, it's, you know, building those relationships and sustaining them, I guess. I don't know how you kind of felt about launching into freelance and whether you kind of took um, different steps or. Well, I, because um, I was working in-house at, at Bloomsbury, and but I knew that me and my partner wanted to leave London to to move back down to Devon. And, um, but I didn't, I didn't feel able to, to approach lots of different publishers while still working at Bloomsbury. So I decided Mm. to take a job out of publishing and I worked in a design agency for about a year and a half before leaving London. And whilst doing that day job in the evenings, I was essentially doing two jobs and and trying to build up the contacts and and things like that. Cause I was worried because I hadn't, I'd only worked in Bloomsbury for about two and a half years. So not very long. Wow. That's the only place I've worked in house. So I felt like I hadn't built up enough connections, you know, to go freelance really. But the timing was, was just there because me and my partner were expecting, um, our, our firstborn. So, Mm. um, the pressure was on really. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so I just had to, <laughs> yeah. So I just had to put myself out there as, as you described really. And, you know, I, I remember when I was a young designer, I was always really tentative about getting in touch with people because there's always that. Cold emailing fear. Of, fear. <laughs> yeah. But I think when you get to the point where you, you, you can't fail, it's just, there's no fear anymore. And it's just put yourself out there. And if people don't reply to you, then, you know, sod it. Yeah. Um, and, and just hope that for every 10 emails, maybe one person might come back with something and, and you can pick up some work. But I guess, yeah, that's something if I had my time again, maybe I'd take that spirit, you know, a little bit earlier, maybe, and just mm. put yourself out there a, a little bit more. Cause we all, it's always a weird feeling trying to put yourself out there. It's, it doesn't sit comfortably for, for, for some. I would say for most people, we have this yeah. kind of innate fear that, I guess, you know, it's the whole rejection thing, right? But I think one thing that really helped me was when I was a senior designer, I'd get these cold emails. And for me, they never like, I never thought twice about them. I'd always respond um, and be like, thank you. You know, if we find something, um, then you'll be the first one that I'll contact. And then I was like, okay, if I think like that, I'm sure there's some people that will get my email that will think the same. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, also I kind of tried to, once people did reply, kind of shove my foot through the door and be like, can I come in and say hi? (laughs) 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 And just, you know, like, I feel like faces are so much more memorable than emails. Um, And so I was, you know, if someone invites me to a book launch or, um, you know, an event or something, um, I will always try and go, um, in order to just talk to people and remember them by faces and their characters and stuff. I think, you know, that, that helps with longevity of relationships. I think that's really important to maintain as well. Mm. I mean, social media and emails and the like can make us lazy in that sense, but I, I like, like you say that nothing, nothing get you know, takes place of actually getting in front of people and having a proper chat and, and making those relationships. You to know, be honest though, it's, it is hard for me. Like I'm, I would, according to Myers-Briggs, I'm 77% introverted. So, okay. <laughs> so it does like, it does take a lot of effort for me to do. Um, I'm, I, I'm a, in, 
I'm a people introvert. I love people, but I do lose a lot of energy very quickly. Yeah. Um, okay. So it's it's kind of just gearing myself up and making sure that I don't overbook myself, but also yeah. make sure that, you know, I think um, also professionalism comes a long way and being kind and friendly. Um, people remember you more and want to work with you again. Um, Absolutely. Um, even in your... Um, difficult emails <laughs> keeping i'm sure you've written had to write a few um in the past but it's trying to keep a um you know a, a friendly presence whilst also yeah. being firm um yeah yeah because there's always that fear of coming across you know being interpreted as is 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 coming across in the wrong way which you yeah. which you want to when you're emailing people or i always worry i'm sounding really passive aggressive in yeah. emails and you know, putting exclamation marks after at the end of every sentence. Oh, I love to, an to, exclamation mark. <laughs> try and to, to try and show that I'm really happy and enthusiastic. <laughs> Apparently, some people read exclamation marks as something very aggressive. Yeah, um, like shouty. Yeah. yeah, a bit shouty. So I'm yeah. I'm a big big fan of the smiley face. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I, it's I, a millennial I, thing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to do that as well. My partner's always whenever she sees me writing emails, she just stop. Putting exclamation marks. Stop it. No, my sister's the same. She's just like, just, you know, just put a full stop. And I was like, yeah, but what if they read it as something a bit too harshly? So <laughs> smiley face and exclamation marks, they're not going to get rid of them for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so being freelance probably allows you a lot more freedom to shape your, your work life, you know, as you, as you see fit, which is, you know, obviously one of the best bits about being freelance. Um, how do you work that freedom into into your into your work practice and and also um you know i know inspiration is obviously a really important part of your work and mm -hmm. where you get inspiration from and i know you're a big fan of travel and you know again freelance gives you opportunities to to shape that around a little bit more so i just wondered if you could talk a bit about you know how you work and uh, etc yeah, only if you promise me how you how you work and find inspiration because I okay, love I, I love this question um, <laughs> and I find that everyone has different ways of in getting inspired before a project starts. Um, I think for me, obviously, as you said, traveling has always played a massive role since since I was growing up. You know, I'd go to South America and visit some family. Um, you know, I did my gap year and that was the first time I was in Europe. Um, and then, you know, I've traveled a lot through, I've done every continent apart from Antarctica, which cool. eventually will do that. But I think, <laughs> I think for me, I'm a big believer of kind of putting myself in a culture that is so not like the culture that I live in, because it really kind of reconfigures your brain, um, and takes away your kind of perceptions about how things should be um and then being more open to the flow of things and um so for me like the the more adventurous the holiday the more um I come back with ideas and a fresher mindset um I might be tired from the adventures <laughs> but um you know and then you know you've got beauty of living in London you've got Europe you know, for the weekends, but, um, I do love big adventures. And for me, that's where I got a lot of inspiration. I think for me, um, if it's not traveling, it's ex exhibitions, um, it's museums, it's art books. I buy maybe too many art reference books. Um, <laughs> you know, like if I'm doing kind of, um, I did a book called Pandora, which was, 
it had a lot of Greek influences, but it was set in the Georgian era in the UK. And so I bought books on kind of Georgian jewelry because the um, character uh, creates Georgian jewelry. And, you know, like if I'm doing a Greek mythology book, I've bought loads of Greek mythology kind of um, books on uh, vase designs, um, what they wore. And just, just because I feel like stepping away from the computer, you'll be able to get different ideas. Um, but in saying that Pinterest is my, my best friend. Um, <laughs> and I, I spend too many hours on Pinterest. Um, but for every project I do, I have a board where I just pin ideas that even, um, if it's not referencing the book at all, it's just something that's com- compositionally interesting. It sets a tone. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. And I, I think, think it's good that you go through the, the, go to that extra mile. Cause like you say, you know, things like Pinterest and the internet it, it has its place, but mm. it's really great that you you know, go that extra mile and buy a book on a subject because, you know, with the internet, sometimes you can only get shallow responses, yeah. whereas you, you, you delve further down and you, you never know what you might find. Oh, 100%. And I've, you know, I've come across artists that I'd never even heard of before by buying books or going to exhibitions. Um, in saying that also, I would say my biggest, biggest inspiration comes from reading the book. Um, and I know, I know not every designer reads entire manuscripts but for me it's something that's so important and especially with a lot of genres that I do um I feel like briefs might not necessarily have the elements that I am looking for for a cover and for cover inspiration so I would say manuscripts are my muses and then (laughs) everything else are just kind of great ways of inspiring and I think also I'm a big believer of not looking at other book covers yeah aside from looking at what's in the market um, because I think otherwise, if you look at other book covers, they start, your designs start to look very similar. Yeah. And, and I always find it amazing really when, um, briefs come your way, how, mm. how little kind of inspiration as part of that brief is external from book covers. The mm. comp covers are always books in that market where I'd love, I'd love to receive a brief from someone where they kind of chuck something completely random in, yeah. which might capture the tone of a book or yeah. a feeling that they're trying to trying to engage with, I, I'd love that. I, I really wish that would that would happen more often because I, you you become dull to those comp covers after a while. You just oh, see 100%. the same ones time and time again, and they just become meaningless after a while. And usually, the comp covers are nothing to do with what the book is trying to do. It's usually it's been a bestseller, so yeah. therefore it's a comp cover. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite things is when authors have Pinterest boards. Yeah. Um, okay. Because then you, for me, it's like going into their mind and then kind of yeah, it's having a bit of an insight scrummage. into what they're thinking. Yeah, yeah. and That's I might really not pick anything from that board, but like it's just allowing me to kind of step into their world for a little bit and kind of get the feeling and the tone of the book. Um, yeah. yeah and- do you ever share, if you, I mean, you say you use things like Pinterest quite a lot. Do you mm. ever share those mood boards with an art director just so they can see what you're thinking as well before you even start the process of, you know, doing sketches and things like that? I, I usually share them if um, I have a very, very strong feeling towards a colour palette. Um, so I never share them before I do the sketches, but because I normally work on black and white sketches before I take anything to color, um, I do sometimes share a a small mood board from my Pinterest board and kind of wear my inspiration for the colors that I want to take a certain cover and its direction to, but yeah. (laughs) 
And how about you? <laughs> <laughs> um, probably similar, really. I guess for me, it, it all comes down to, to research, I suppose. Mm. Um, but, you know, given the nature of deadlines and, 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 and life, it, you know, you, your, your time to research can sometimes be really minimal. Yeah. Um, but I think having that respect for research can be really important because, you know, there's subjects that I naturally know a lot more about than some others. And I know that that, that, that knowledge I have can sometimes lead to really unexpected uh, concepts or, mm. or ways of approaching a cover, um, which without that knowledge just wouldn't be possible. So, so you know that if when you get a topic which you don't know so much about, you, you know there must be something underneath all the kind of immediate kind of shallow layers that could actually give you a really good and unique solution. So I guess, you know, trying my best to, to read around a subject or, you yeah. know, listening to video, you know, watching videos, listening to podcasts that might be related to that subject. Um, obviously, you know, my my the work I do tends to be completely different to the work you do. And, you know, but I love it. I love yeah, everything that, that you post because it's so different. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess, you know, and, and given that limited time, it's always good to remind yourself that you know designers should always have their antennae out for Mm. kind of for new things and and always be aware and I think a lot of us are all you know just naturally interested in culture and society and I think if you're always taking in that information no matter where it is you just you don't know how that could be useful one day the amount of times that I've uh, I've been given a brief and something that I've listened to or watched, you know, three years ago, it, it, there's a connection there and I can, oh, I can use that in a way. So, mm. so, so it's just making sure again, in the same way that you use maybe going traveling to open your mind, you know, I'm always trying to, to keep myself open to, to, to culture and ideas, you know, even if, even if I don't necessarily agree with them or to, so, you know, I've, I always try to fight algorithms on the, inter- on the internet and things like that. I always try to watch content which I w- wouldn't naturally be drawn to or agree with. Just, uh, I don't know, keep your brain open, I suppose, because it's all about ideas, essentially, isn't it, what we do? Yeah, and I think, you know what, I've always told um, people starting out, your biggest best friend is to just keep your mind open to everything that's new and everything that's coming in, like um, color trends. Like for me, I'm a massive um, fan of at the end of the year, looking at what the new color trends, font trends, um, design trends are for the new year, even if it's like brand design, um, just to see kind of what's fresh. I also love looking at what um, students are creating for their final dissertations because I guess they're the ones that are the new and up and coming. So um, uh, I think I think a lot of designers that I've seen in the past where their designs slowly start to look dated is because they don't prioritize taking time to um, research and see what they can um, uh, get inspired by and see what's fresh. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, like say, what was it, 10 years ago, silhouettes, of female faces for um for women's fiction was a massive massive yeah. thing or um i remember when i did a book called meadowland and vintage did h's for hawk that was a massive beginning of nature books now doing illustrative covers over photographic covers um 
And I think, you know, the more you keep up to date, um, the more your designs will continue to look fresh. Um, and like you said, I think it's really interesting to do research on things that you don't necessarily agree with. Um, and um, because I, I, I don't know if you've ever read Adam Grant, because I guess you're a nonfiction dude. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's really interesting because his thought pattern is always about making sure that you never ever believe that you're the one that's always right um because and for me i you know like i'm passionate about things but i'm always open to if someone has a better argument i'm so willing to have that discussion um and to be swayed away from something i'm passionate about if someone can tell me something that i and more um, swayed by than my own thoughts that I generally have. And I think that's a really important thing, whether you're a designer or just in life, to yeah. to be open to explore the things that are coming out and whether you agree with them or not in order to um, keep up to date and not be left behind because obviously we live in such a world with technology and I know that AI is going to come up eventually, um, <laughs> that things are you know, propelling so quickly and accelerating so quickly that um, if we don't at least start having a conversation about it and start exploring these things, then um, we won't have the ability to kind of create that narrative and eventually that will create its own narrative for us. um, And that's quite dangerous as well. And I think you you made a point there about uh, being aware of what work students are doing as well. I think that's mm. really important because, you know, they are ultimately the designers of tomorrow. Yeah. And, you know, they're they're well, generally something all the time, but generally they they tend to be younger and their cultural reference points could be completely different from <laughs> yeah. our own. And that might create completely different solutions and, and approaches to how we'd create work. And that's really interesting as well. And again, like you say, you know, having that ability to to keep looking out what's there yeah um keeps you connected to the rest of the design community but also culturally as well yeah and i think if you want the younger generation to start picking up books um then you need to start understanding what they find interesting absolutely um, yeah visually that's a really good point yeah (laughs) i think you know and and because obviously book talk is taking off um it's kind of making sure that you see what book talk is really engaging with um, and what they're completely ignoring because what we as publishers or as designers think is interesting might not necessarily be at all on the radar of the younger generation. So, um, and if they're the ones that are going to eventually take our jobs um, (laughs) and, you know, step up, you know, I'm a big believer of making sure that they have a healthy path of growing, but then also they can be teaching us as well. As someone who, uh, isn't currently on TikTok. Um, <laughs> um, for people who don't know, what what is the the book talk phenomenon uh, about? And 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 are you on TikTok? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? As a millennial on TikTok, I. Uh, it's like sending your first cold email. It's terrifying um, <laughs> because at least on Instagram, you can hide behind static images, but you yeah. can't really. And um, I think it's, it's interesting because like TikTok really detests and the younger generation really detests anything that is too primmed and proper, um, right. which is what 
um, millennials love, you know, like uh, that control. Millenn- yeah, that control. And I think, um, you know, selecting their narrative that looks like the best narrative in the world. Well, you know, um, Gen Z is uh, great at kind of just making fun of themselves or if they embarrass themselves, I'll put it on TikTok. Um, that's really think, encouraging to hear, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> As someone who's, you know, I'm, I'm stuck in Instagram and, and, and whatnot at the moment, but there is that kind of perception that everything has to be polished and clean and yeah. you can't see anything under the hood, where it's really encouraging to hear that things like TikTok are, are you know, encouraging, you know, people to, to, to show all the ugly bits too. <laughs> 100%. And I think that's where BookTok really has taken off because there's such honest reviews of books and when people love them that's when the craze starts because you know the biggest marketing tool is not you know dare I say the cover or um the content itself it's the word of mouth marketing and you know if one tiktoker who you trust says is an amazing book um but um and then someone else reads it and then continues that trend um things explode um and I think that's something like um Instagram doesn't do because it's hidden behind these polished kind of posts. Yeah. Um so it's just, you know, like and I think that's the beauty of um book talk and you know, things like um the news, a lot of uh uh Gen Z is a Gen Z's, I don't know, I feel like a millennial saying a Gen <laughs> Z now. Um uh is uh, they're they're getting the news from um TikTok because um they're honest um, it's honest news. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's things that I found on TikTok that the media wasn't covering because there was a deal being made in the background to keep silent about it. And I think it's just really fascinating to see that it's just a very honest space. And it's also a black hole because now that it knows that I like dogs and the gym and Marvel and Star Wars, it's an endless <laughs> scrolling marathon. <laughs> okay, <Yeah>. well... <laughs> Maybe I should um, have a look at TikTok at some point. Oh, explore, if I'm doing, explore. <laughs> if I'm doing a bit scary, <laughs> but yeah, we'll see. Um, given the nature of your work, which mm. you know has a really rich quality and real depth of style to it, um, it must be a, a challenge sometimes and quite time-consuming in those initial stages to put roughs together mm. to show art directors and, and editors. Um, has the way you've worked um, evolved over the years, and um, particularly since going freelance in those kind of initial stages and when you're, you know, exploring different ideas and approaches? Yeah, no, definitely. I think one of the biggest blessings going freelance is that no one can look at your screen. So when you're <laughs> experimenting with things, um, I used to really, I mean, I loved open space working, but people would just walk past your screen and go, oh, that looks cool. Or that looks interesting. <laughs> interesting was the word that meant, hmm, I'm not so sure. Um, <laughs> and I'd be like, don't look at it. It's not It's not even polished yet. Um, so I think, you know, going freelance was definitely that space where I could kind of just play a little more without feeling like people were watching my screen. Um as well as I would say my evolution to would say 99% of my work now is my own illustrations and my cover designs rather than um, my cover designs and using say other illustrators or um, stock imagery. Um, I would say only 1% of my work now is doing that. So um, I think also for me, I always 
tell people when they're sending roughs because I think especially because a lot of my work is quite intricate um I just don't have time to send things to final illustrations so um I think for me I'm just like if the most non-creative person in the room can understand what your sketch is then you're good to go um so yeah so I do kind of most of my black and white sketches just look like coloring books where it's just basic line work, but it's not overly sketchy to the point that it can be misinterpreted. So um, I try my best to kind of make it as polished black and white sketch as possible. Yeah. And then kind of moving on to the next stage of the process, mm. um, what does good or useful feedback look like to you? Because obviously when you're sharing those initial concepts nothing's locked down at that stage Mm. so there's a lot to play for still so you must get a lot of varied and sometimes conflicting and probably sometimes not very useful (laughs) feedback so um what to you you know when you get feedback from an editor or art director what's really helpful for yourself oh that's such a good question um i have had great experiences with good feedback and very very interesting there's that word, um, <laughs> feedback. I think the most helpful feedback, and I've had such incredible art directors and designers that have given me this kind of feedback where it's bullet-pointed <laughs> um, <laughs> instead of a whole paragraph, which I have to dissect. Um, it's clear and concise, and it's um, not using any kind of uh adjective language where it can be misinterpreted um so like things like um could we um could we change the typeface because it's looking a bit young at the moment um great um and sometimes I've been like can we make the typeface feel a bit more melancholy yeah. I'm like, I don't know what that means. What does, like, what does yeah. that mean? <laughs> um, or like um, I had feedback where it just said light versus dark. And I was like, I don't know how to interpret that information. <laughs> um, it's not very helpful for me. Um, so I would say generally if you're working with other designers, they're really good at kind of concising the feedback. But if, if you're working with people that, um, you know, I always make sure that I have – a small handful of self-published authors that I still work with because I don't ever want to give up that space completely Um, uh, just because, you know, I'm working with a lot of publishers and, you know, I've had a lot of great self-pub authors that I've worked with that are, and I think for me, the number one thing uh, is, is their passion for wanting their book to sell and wanting their book to be out there in the world. Um, And if they're really passionate about it and they're really backing their story, then I'm, I'm usually a lot more interested in the book. Um, and it must be pe- refreshing working directly with the author as well. Yeah. You know, having those face-to-face conversations, it's different than going through art directors or editors or cover meetings and things like that. I think um, one of the best things about working with authors straight on is that they really trust you. Um, and I think because there's so many voices having control of where, what cover will be chosen, kind of where it's going to be taken. And like, um, you know, I've, I've been in cover meetings where they're like, I don't like the cover. And we're like, why don't you like the cover? I just don't like purple. And it's like, (laughs) is that a personal preference or is there a reason why purple is not going to work for the cover? Oh no, I just don't like it. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) so I think, you know, that's really refreshing. I think also, um, authors listen to how you want to take feedback and usually I give them kind of like a little point list on how to feedback to me if they haven't done it before with a designer 
Um, but yeah, I never want to ever entirely give that up um, yeah. because I think it's such a beautiful space. Um, so yeah, it's it's different experiences all around, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> and you and you said. Obviously, a lot of your cover work these days tends to be not 99% of your own original illustrations. Um, do you ever feel there's a danger, or or you might not worry about it at all, it, of being pigeonholed stylistically in the either the type of briefs you get or what they're expecting from you? Um, because I think it's, it's something I'm always thinking yeah. about, <laughs> again... Someone who's probably pigeonholed himself quite a lot in terms of the type of briefs I get. So I just wonder if it's something you ever think about and do you ever take any measures to combat that or are you just quite happy always being in that space? I think, um, yes, I'm terrified of that. Um, yes, it has happened a lot. I, sometimes I get briefs, we like, we love this cover, we want the same but different. And, um, mm. and but then they're so focused on covers that I've done before that if I provide something that's slightly different, um, they're not very keen on it. Um, I think the I really sat down a year, year and a half ago to kind of really try and combat that space. Um, I don't take for granted that I am really busy at the moment um, with work and I do have to turn away briefs and that might not always be the case. Um, so I always make sure that I don't take these things for granted. Um, and then I try and share the work that I can't take on. Um, and, you know, I always, depending on the genre or the brief, I always try and go, I can't do this, but have you have you seen this person's work? It's amazing. You know, they might be really good and well-fitted for this job. Um but I think in the last year and a half, I started trying to f create language because I'm a big believer of once you found language for something, it becomes easier. Um, and for me, because I have to really curate the work that I take on, um, I do upfront say, um, uh, ask for a synopsis and a brief before I say yes to anything. And also um, say, look, if uh, just a disclaimer that if if this is a very similar brief um, to what I've done previously, then I will probably turn it down because I want to make sure that my mind is fresh for every piece that I take on. I get very excited when people take a chance on me for something that's completely different to what a lot of people have pigeonholed me for. And those are the briefs I really do prioritize. Um, and then, you know, I've got my guilty pleasures as well. Um, <laughs> and like, um, I think, you know, and I also have my, my favorite authors who have been so vocal and, you know, I'm sure you've had some, um, authors that have been very vocal and supportive of the work that you've created for them. And, you know, those are the authors that I never want to give up because, yeah, absolutely. um, and I, you know, there's been certain authors where I'm like, I don't even care if I'm booked out for the year I will try and squeeze you in wherever I can um and I think you know that's a beautiful thing you know, and it's the same thing you know great experience with someone whether it's an author or a publisher or um or everyone in between um you you will try and make that space for people um and yeah I think that's uh, it's really important to kind of just be like be upfront and just be like I can't always take everything on. I there are certain genres now that um, I pretty much have put a stop to, like Greek mythology, um, <laughs> because I feel like there's a limit to what my my unique brain can come up with. Yeah. Um, so, and I want to make. You've got to keep it fresh for yourself. I yeah. Think, as well. 
and you know I've got authors that I love um say Jenny Saint um and her Greek mythology books and I want to make sure that all of her future books I'm not drained by By doing other ones constant briefs of going you've done Greek mythology please do the same for these ones so um, I always want to make sure that I have a future fresh mind to kind of do that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's really, really healthy way of looking about it. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And, I, and, it, and like you say, when someone does send you an email with a new job, which is something a bit different to what you're used to, it just, it, it really enga- re-engages all your enthusiasm once again. Yeah. And I think it also kind of forces you to kind of, um, explore and research in ways that you haven't in the past um and be like okay um what can I do in order to kind of make this fresh and unique bring my own little essence to it but it's not something that I normally do so you kind of really have to force yourself to do a lot more research um and you know like I love people taking chances on me for these kind of things um because it means that they believe that I can do something that's different to what I have in my portfolio and that's also encouraging because it also shows that that they're thinking differently too. Mm. They don't want something that's gone before, mm. and you know that again. That's really liberating for a designer or, or <laughs> illustrator. It really is, yeah. <laughs> especially as the kind of we want we want a leading cover, not a following cover. Absolutely. I like that language. I'm not a massive yeah. fan of we want a big book look because again, what does that even mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I tend Again, to- <laughs> that, me- that quite often means following rather than leading. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, you know, these are all the bestsellers. We want something like that rather than we want something so unique that the market hasn't already seen it. Um, yeah. That's a really interesting point, actually. It's very true. It's They do want something following because that's what all the big books have already done. <laughs> yeah. And I think if, if, and if it is going to be a, a big book, then oh, the way I think and the the way I respond to covers and I'm sure many other people do is, is you, you want something that stands out rather mm. than blends in. And I, I get the arguments for, for things blending in too. I, I really do. But I think if, if, if a book is truly unique and looking to, to, to make its way and it's set its own mark, then it, I think, I believe it should, it should stand out. Yeah. And you know, like it's always great to see, when it does stand out when you walk into Waterstones. That, and I think that's what your designs really do because you're so clever in how you do things. Um, oh. It makes people, <laughs> it, no, it really makes people second <laughs> kind of question and kind of delve deeper into kind of the, dare I say it, puns that you've worked with visually. Um, yeah. And I think that's really fascinating, very unique and not many people can do. Oh, thank you. Bless you. I'm not very good at taking compliments. No, so no, no. I'll, it's like I'll you're British and I've been here for 10 years, so we all twitch. Um, and I've got I've got a friend who um, who I used to work with at HarperCollins. Bless her. She's She always catches me out when I'm deflecting. She's like, you're deflecting. Just say thank you. And I'm like, okay, thank you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think it's a good time to pivot. Mm. Um, let's talk about AI. Woohoo! <laughs> um, so for people who don't know, um, you recently wrote a, an article about AI's influence on cover design. Mm. Um, you look at the subject for, from an optimis- optimistic perspective. And for full disclosure, uh, <laughs> I personally feel quite pessimistic about AI. <laughs> So I'm just throwing that out there now. Um, um, But you're putting it out there of seeing AI as a tool rather than 
competitor mm. and something that can assist um, and enhance our work. Um, and I guess that's the essence of the debate, you know, not only in our industry, but in society. Is, is AI going to be something that helps us or is it going to be something that replaces us? Um, but, you know, you're very much in the camp of being being cautious, but at mm -hmm. the same time being open-minded. Is that correct? Yeah, a wary optimist um, yeah. or a wary devil's advocate. Um, okay. <laughs> I do love putting a spanner in the works and that's why I wrote that article. Um, you know, I've had, I've had a few people that came back to me going they're very unhappy with the article, um, but, you know, what I wrote as a disclaimer at the beginning and the end um, yep. and throughout is that yeah, you did. Um, there is there is a lot of issues that I do not agree with and I think um, could have been dealt a bit better. But my my mindset is also I don't think it's going to go away. Um, no. And no, the genie is well and truly out the yeah, bottle. Yeah, it's, it's completely out of the bottle and it's shining. Um, and I think if we stick our head in the sand and say no, 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 or um, do a little tantrum like a toddler, um, we don't give ourselves the ability to rewrite that narrative in a healthy way. Um, and I think my point for that article was um, – here are potential um, opening ideas of how AI can help our work in publishing um, and as cover designers. Um, and then also here are some things that we need to be very wary of. Um, I don't agree with using it as an end output um, or an end finished product because I think, um, one, we don't know how it was trained and two, um, I think, you know, we need to really be um, championing our illustrators, our designers and everything like that. Um, but uh, just like Pinterest has been such a big tool for me for research, um, I think AI can potentially be very, um, very encouraging to that research phase um, and brainstorming with an AI tool. And, you know, I've kind of gone through all the main AIs to try and understand them, how they work, um, and kind of just befriend them in a way that I'm like, okay, these are the areas now I know that are a bit problematic. And these are the areas that could potentially be um, quite interesting in how we could introduce that into um, the publishing space. And um, so things like um, I think in the future we could use AI for people that don't necessarily that can't necessarily draw as art directors. It yeah. could be a very pivotal tool in order to brief an illustrator for what yeah. you want. Um, and I think that could be quite interesting. Again, no one will see kind of the meshed up things that you've created but it's it's to create a visual tool than stick figures or circles um and lines in order to kind of brief well and i mean one of the examples that i put in the article was i was talking to a friend of mine who was really struggling to communicate to an illustrator so magical creature um and you know we explored kind of mid-journey and what it could output so um she could be like this is the area and the kind of um, look of what this magical creature could look like. Now go and illustrate in your own way and in your own mind um, with your own inspiration. But I think that could be a very potentially useful tool. Um, again, you know, ChatGPT could become a very useful tool for editors um, and for even authors to get feedback on their work. 
Um, again, I think we still have a very long way to go in that area. Um, but I think, you know, like, just like Pinterest, my work gets uploaded on Pinterest a lot without my permission. Um, and people are exploring it, um, learning from it, pinning it. Um, and I feel like that is what AI is doing and learning just like humans do. Um, and, you know, I don't give permission for my work to go on Pinterest, but it's just how Pinterest works. Um, and it's no way defending what and how these data sets have been created. But it's an interesting thing where, you know, a lot of people have mimicked my work sometimes a bit too closely, um, but I can't stop that from happening. And if humans are doing that to humans, but we're not opening that conversation and we're just focused on AI, I think it's a very, I don't know, I think people need to be open to the debate space for both things. Um, and, you know, I get inspired by a lot of things that are pinned on Pinterest as well. So um, it's an interesting space and I'm nowhere near an expert. I just feel like... Um, if we leave it too late to have these discussions in-house in publishers and as designers, we're really going to not have the ability to change that narrative. It's going to be too late, ways. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're correct to, to point out that we need to be having these conversations. And I, th I, I think something you said in the article that was really interesting is that if um, designers and illustrat illustrators are constantly moulding and shaping mm -hmm. and pushing their style, um, AI... Um, in asterisks at the moment, <laughs> yeah. uh, will only be able to kind of replicate that and will be left trailing that, mm. that past work. And I guess, you know, by having these conversations, like you, like you say, it puts it back on to us as designers to, to make sure that, that publishers continue to, to, to buy into the value of design mm. um, and design that seeks to evolve and, and push boundaries and see things from a new angle rather than, you know, just just, just settling for what's gone yeah. before. I, I and I think it's a very interesting point. And as in the article, you know, one of my friends also mentioned that my name was being used as a prompt already on yeah, Mid Journey, wow. um, which I found fascinating. And then I started kind of... <laughs> slash scary. <laughs> yeah, slash scary. <laughs> but I started trolling what it was outputting... Mm. for these people's prompts because obviously a lot of mid-journey is a public space so i can yeah. i can search that um and there was nowhere near what i can create um and i think publishers are buying into your your experience your brain your ideas your creativeness your creativity um and it's the same with editors um i think editors will never lose their jobs with or without chat gbt because um they their experience and their knowledge of storytelling and stories will never, ever be able to be taken by a computer. Um, yeah. And I'm a big believer of that. Okay. That's good. That's good <laughs> that you retain that optimism. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think we need, we need optimists in this space for yeah. sure, because I'm too quick just to see the doom and gloom and, yeah. and start thinking of apocalyptic scenarios and, and things <laughs> like that. It is terrifying. <laughs> it's, ter it's terrifying. And I think doing the research also terrified me to see when things spat out really, really interesting work. And I'm like, okay, well then how, if it can spit out certain things like that, how can I then evolve my work so that it's not even competing with that, it's better. Um, and I think, you know, that's a mentality that I want to keep. Um, again, if 
Um, I've had some naysayers that want to do a bait me behind an avatar, but the moment I'm like, can we chat on Zoom? They go quiet. Um, I oh, think bless the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, you know, and the internet is quite a scary space for that. Um, and I think uh, it's, it's seeing what the article was and why it was written um, in order so we can start having these conversations. And, you know, and I love a good debate, but if you're not willing to kind of jump away from your hidden avatar to kind of like have a face-on-face discussion, in order for you to convince me to think more into certain topics on AI, then I don't think it's worth having that conversation with no, you know, these because, people. because, I mean, you know, uh, you're, you're an open person and we're, we're all mm. trying to be open people and, and it's good to put your uh, perspective out there and if people have a differing one then put it out there too and yeah. let's have, let's have, let's a, have a conversation yeah absolutely no no it's 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 really interesting um my yeah as i said before my initial is just <laughs> reaction is to you know, bury my head in the sand and pretend it's not there let's have a conversation it, steve <laughs> i know i know and I, I, we, we spoke about it in in my workspace as well and mm. and the, the designers i'm working with, there's two of them who work in in motion Oh, interesting. And animation. Yeah. And, I, yeah, and that's, you know, and things like AI and mid-journey, et cetera, is, are already transforming their mm. work practices already and they're having to respond to that. Um, and you, and as you've alluded to, you can't afford to just let, rest on your laurels and pretend it's not happening. So I guess, yeah, articles like yours force me into <laughs> trying to open my own mind as well, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know what? Like, you don't have to be for it. Just understand it. Um, just understand it, and, yeah. you know, um, I think with any topic that you want to talk about and stand by with, understand the other point of view in order to have a better conversation. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's really important. Mm. You were awarded uh, oh, Designer of the Year. Here we go. <laughs> I'm going to start complimenting you now. <laughs> Make you feel awkward. Um, you were awarded Designer of the Year at the... British Book Awards uh, 2022. Mm. Um, that must have been quite a surreal experience. <laughs> yes, <laughs> to say the least. Um, yeah, I um, genuinely didn't think I was going to win, so I maybe drank a little bit too much before the um, the award was announced. Um, <laughs> I'd be exactly the same. Yeah, <laughs> I think also because there were P- art directors I was up against that have been in the industry for 20 plus years. Um, but I didn't put myself down in the sense that I thought I had a strong chance if the British Book Awards wasn't a political awards ceremony, I think I would have a good chance because I was very proud of my submission that year. Um, and if it was political, I knew that I probably wouldn't have a chance. And maybe, um, you know, uh, I think I never see things as failures. So if I didn't win that year, it would just make me um, push for the future years to kind of move and mold and change. Um, I'm all about development myself, if you haven't noticed. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think... That was, it was very encouraging to see that people valued and saw the the amount of effort I put into things. Um, And that was very rewarding. But the next day came a massive dose of imposter syndrome and anxiety. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, the, the more platform you have, 
Um, sometimes I'm scared that's a higher place to fall from. Um, and uh, also to, for people to disagree and to also be trolled by. Um, but it's also a place where you can really encourage positive change for things. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I did use my speech to more prioritize what positive change we can see in the industry rather than talking about myself, because obviously I don't like talking about myself very often. Um, so yeah, I think um, it was it was rewarding, but also a very terrifying thing. And it took me a couple of months to process what had <laughs> happened. Um, and you know what? The following year, this year, I wasn't even shortlisted. And for me, that was a very encouraging thing because I had to step away and be like, okay, like not shortlisted this year. How do I process that as well? Um, and, and know that kind of my identity is not in the awards that I win and the recognition I get, but it's in kind of the the love of my job and the love of what I do. And I think for me, um, you know, I've had a couple of projects that have been dream projects of mine that I've been given this year. And if I were given the choice, I would have chosen the dream projects over over an award. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, you've, you, you alluded to there about your, your acceptance speech. Um, and in that speech, for those who, who didn't see it, you recognised publishing's uh, push for diversity mm. um, and you said that in order for publishing to thrive and to push boundaries we need to give a voice and make room for diverse perspectives um, especially in de- decision making roles mm. um, and I'm detecting that even though you praised publishing's initial push I'm guessing you believe there's still a long way to go on that journey yeah <laughs> <laughs> to say the least to say the least <laughs> Um, yeah, I think, look, I think there's incredible schemes happening, um, internship schemes, BAME, BAME internship schemes, um, and a lot of kind of evolution, but I feel like it stops there. Um, I feel like it doesn't give room for this homogenous group to change in the C-suite and exec roles. Um, and I think, you know, decisions will constantly be made in the same perspective every time, you know, and there's a lot of oh no moments in publishing purely because of that. I've been in cover meetings where people have said things which I've really not agreed with, um, and been told to, um, to shut up and not, not be able to say anything in those meetings. Um, and, you know, Sometimes. And publishing, it probably not been given the space to say those yeah. things either or feel like you're able to, which is puts yeah. people in difficult positions. I think because, you know, if you say what you said was wrong, I think a lot of people will defend themselves rather than try and open and have that conversation. Um, I have seen a lot of change in the way people have to are now forced to think about certain decisions. Um, but... You know, if we're not looking at kind of say things like pay, um, I feel another article coming, um, <laughs> like things like uh, as a junior designer in this publishing space, I had so many side hustles that I had to do in order to just live in the city. You know, I was a wedding photographer for years with my sister to just get some kind of hustle money for groceries because everything that I was earning, I think I started on 21K was going to my rent and 
the basics, like some, some weeks I didn't know if I could get a train ticket to work. Um, and God bless my parents. And I don't take uh, for granted my parents' help in certain things. Um, but, you know, if we're not looking at salaries in order for um, people that come from different classes and backgrounds um, and that they can't stand on their own two feet in London, then we're not creating that space. If we're not creating a space for midweight designers to start a family, then they're, they're going to leave the industry for higher paid jobs. Um, and then, you know, I think decisions are going to stay the same if we don't give space for people to um, to open the doors for a diverse perspective, whether that is, you know, ethnicity, background, um, class, disabilities. I think, you know, all of these things can help challenge our perspectives that we've been a bit stuck on and stereotypes. I think, you know, cover design can fall into stereotypes. Um, and I think that's also a dangerous zone. Um, and there's a lot of discussion happening in that area, as well as like things like film grading, um, you know, a yellowy kind of film grade for like hostile environments like Mexico or um, the Middle East. I think, you know, now film is now starting to open up that discussion of why is film grading racist in a, in a way. So it's it's just really interesting conversations. And I think those are the steps I think um, publishing still need to take. What do you think designers and art directors can do to make a, a, a small difference in this area and be part of the process of this change in publishing? Is there anything that, that we can do to, to, to help? I think um, we need more mentors, um, that's for sure. And I think, you know, obviously... Our great friends, uh, Steve, Donna, Abby, and Nick, uh, have created something called DPI, um, which is kind of a mentorship um, scheme for um, people of, um, not just um, uh, people from diverse backgrounds, but kind of disability or anything that might kind of hinder what publishing might hire on. Um, and I think that's really, really fascinating um, and a great thing. And I'm, I'm a mentor this year through that. Um, and I think... Um, we do need more mentors just to help people. Um, I think stop hiring people that look like you, sound like you, have come from the same schools. Um, give people a chance, um, especially if they're, if they're not a mini you, then that's great because I think those are where the challenging conversations come from and having good open debates and discussions. Um, I'm a big fan of the book Creativity Inc., um, which is Ed Catmull, a creative, uh, co-creator of Pixar, where he's very open about if your intern has something interesting to say, everyone has to listen kind of thing. And it's a, it's a round table experience, not a rectangular table experience. Um, and I think slowly things will change, you know, and if you don't have, um, if, if you have a homogenous group in your exec roles, make room and have discussions on how to make room. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's no, a big that, topic. It's such a it's big a topic. Massive topic. Um, I, I think you make some really good points mm -hmm. there and, and how you know, people like yourself and others are, are starting to make a difference mm -hmm. in our little corner of publishing. Um, and again, it goes back to being open to ideas, doesn't it? And, you know, if people are hiring, like you say, versions of themselves, that's being closed off to new ways of thinking. Mm. And it's, it's about embracing, you know, different corners of society because that can only enhance what we're all trying to do. 
Um, so no, I, I think you make some some really good suggestions there. And again, you know, there's so much room to grow. There's so much debates to be had, but there are small steps that can be easily taken to start making better changes that are not just internship internship programs. Why wow, I'm really struggling with that word internship today. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Doing this podcast, quickly realise there's a lot of words you failed to say correctly. <laughs> it sounds so foreign <laughs> on my tongue. My goodness. Um, internship. There we go. <laughs> um, my impression of you from what I see online is that you are just so overjoyed with doing the job you do. Um, <laughs> Is it the exclamation marks? Yes, the exclamation marks. Because <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I feel exactly the same way, and you know, I think we all need to step back sometimes and realise how lucky we are and privileged mm. we are to be doing a, a job like ours. Because it's, it's it's rewarding. It's, it, it's like a made up job, really. It's yeah. not. It's not. It's not the job. Job. Um, <laughs> but um, f- for you, what? Why is being a cover designer such a great job? And 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 how does it allow you to to do the things you want to do? You know what? Like, I love I love my job, and it's yeah. I think it is obvious. Um, you know, I think I look forward to starting new projects. Um, anything that's stressful, I remind myself it's the stresses that I've chosen, not stresses that have been bestowed upon me. Um, and I think you know every job has its own stresses, but sometimes I end the day and I go to my husband going. I drew a dragon today and I got paid for it. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know what? I, I, My mum and dad never let me watch TV during the school week um, okay. growing up. And I think it was a, one of the best blessings. Maybe as a teenager, I hated. God, I'm going to have to try that one. Yeah, 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 there you go. Um, <laughs> but it, it forced us to learn how to entertain ourselves. And obviously back in the 90s, you know, you had your brick Nokia with Snake, um, yep. if you were even lucky. Um, <laughs> and that was it. So to find different forms of um, entertainment and my parents had a cutoff time for MSN. So you had to switch that off. Um, <laughs> stop talking to your friends. Um, so reading became a very integral part to growing up. Um, obviously, Harry Potter played a massive role um, in my childhood. Um, and my mum would take us to the bookshops and be like, just choose a book um, or choose two books and we'll take them home so long as you promise to read them. And I think for me, that was such a great upbringing um, to fall in love with publishing and books. Um, and I think I've always had a passion for that. So when someone told me in an interview that I could do that <laughs> for a job, then I got so excited. I, re- I still remember to this day, the first book I ever worked on, one of the first books that I worked on was just a film tie-in. Um, yeah. So literally, for those who don't know what a film tie-in cover is, you get the movie poster of a book that's been made into a film and you get the movie poster and plonk the title and the author name and the book goes out to print. And that was the first book I ever saw printed that I had worked on. And I got so excited. And I remember the rest of my team going, why are you getting that excited? Like, it's just a film tie-in. And the, and the um, production um, guy, um, who I love, he was just like, you know, eventually this will get old. And it never does. Like, it never does, no. No, and I walk into Waterstones and I still get giddy when I see my work 
on the shelves. Um, even if it's spying out, I still get excited. Um, and yeah, I think, I think as a creative, you want, it's something that you need to do is to do something that you love. Um, because that will really filled in feed into your creativity. If you're not doing a creative job, then go and challenge yourself. I think, um, I always do hobbies that I'm not necessarily good at because that really challenges my mindset. Um, I'm never a believer that I'm amazing at my job because I think there's always so much more that I can do. Um, and when I see covers that like some of your covers, which, um, you know, my favorite cover that I wished I designed was your, <laughs> was your almost perfect cover. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, so ingenious. And I still talk about that cover. I think I talked about it on a different podcast once. Um, I'm not even just saying it because we're talking. It's it's downright the cover I wish I designed. Um, oh, very kind. It's, it's so ingenious. And so when I see people, other designers that design in ways that I could, my brain would never have thought of gone down that route. Um, instead of comparing myself and going, oh, I could never do that. I'd be like, oh, this challenges me to go, what can I, what can I bring that inspiration into my next project and how I can, can I look at it in a different way? And it's the same when I get killed projects, um, you know, every now and then they're like, no, nope, we don't like anything that you've done. Um, and usually they give me a second chance. Sometimes they don't. Um, but if they give me a second chance, I'm like, okay, kind of delete everything in my mind and go, how can I approach this in a very different way? Um, and nine out of 10 times they want to go for it. Um, and if not, it's, I'm not right for the job and then that's it. Um, that's it. Yeah. No, I think this is becoming a really common theme, you know, the more I chat to people as well, of how we all get so much from seeing each other's work mm. you know even when it's it's completely different from our own work and you know likewise you know with your work and, and everyone else's you know going into a going into a bookshop or you know scrolling through instagram it's um it's it's really inspirational and it's really encouraging and it's it's fantastic that our, our industry can can you know, really engage with itself mm. um, and and put that love out there as well. It's 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 really unique, I think. I think we have a very good community of um, supporting each other and being very um, excited about each other's successes. And I think that's a very rare community to have um, because you know I've I've got so many people that I love their work on Instagram and they love my work equally as much um, back. And it's just, you know, one big love fest and I love it. Because <laughs> people, you know, especially the internet can be a very brutal place. And um, I would say majority of people on Instagram and Bookstagram, if we want to call it, um, are lovely, encouraging people. Yeah, absolutely. Although I have had a couple of comments where one that just commented on one of my covers that just said, ooh. <laughs> and i and i liked it <laughs> which is like great like not, not everyone's gonna love my covers but that's not good feedback <laughs> could you be more specific yeah, yeah, yeah. what do you not like in specific like specifically <laughs> um but you know majority of the time it doesn't happen like that and i love i love when i get a trolled thing because then i'm like if i am to respond what am i going to say to kind of make a positive impact rather than a negative one because I can fight them and be like, 
don't be mean and stuff or be like, hey, you know, everyone has their different opinions. <laughs> I kind of I, I, I kind of like it when people start trolling if I see people. Because, it again, it kind of, it, at least you're forcing reaction. Even mm. if it's a bad reaction, you're forcing a reaction. Ultimately, we're trying to attract attention yeah. um, in our and work. And a discussion, so, yeah. Yeah, so I can't. I quite like it when people... You know what? Stop. I was going to say that, but I'm scared <laughs> now that everyone's going to troll me. <laughs> that would freak me out. Um, I also try and avoid, like, if I do special editions, try and avoid the comment section now because I know, like, if there's nine amazing comments and one bad comment, um, especially for special editions, people can be very brutal. I tend to just now stay clear of reading any of that fair enough it's not helpful no it's not helpful and as you said it's not it's not an opinion that matters really for the cover so and we um you know we're all the same aren't we we won't we'll ignore the 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 nine good comments but focus on the Mm. bad one you know it's just such a human reaction isn't it? it's just a human thing isn't it it's just the way we are um michaela thanks so much for chatting uh, today um Your work is always brightening up my Instagram feed, as I said. Likewise. And, um, and I think, you you know, you bring a lot of positive energy to our industry and, um, you know, it, continue doing what you do. And it would be great to to hear more articles and more of your thoughts down the line as well. I think, you know, you've, you've, you've got a good platform now to do such things and it's, it's good to keep those conversations going. Yeah, slightly terrifying, but um, <laughs> um, but no, I love it. I love a debate, and I think we need to start talking about things that are important to us. So yeah, and things that we're scared of. Yeah, absolutely. But thank you so much for having me. <laughs> no worries. A massive thanks to Michaela for joining me for a chat. It was fascinating to talk about everything from AI to publishing's diversity problem and what we as designers can do to play our part in changing it for the better. As Michaela says, let's keep the conversation going. To see Michaela's beautiful work, be sure to visit her website at michaelaalcano.com. You can also follow Michaela on Twitter at Michaela Alcano and on Instagram and TikTok at Michaela Alcano Design. Michaela mentioned the DPI during our conversation. For those who don't know, it's an impactful mentorship initiative for underrepresented creatives. They've assembled a group of leading designers across the publishing industry to act as mentors. Their mission is supporting creators from underrepresented groups to develop the skills and acumen to pursue a career in the world of book design. If you'd like to find out more, please visit dpi.org.uk. You can read Michaela's article about AI and its impact on cover design and publishing on LinkedIn. You can find the link via her website or in the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow Cover Meeting wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you can take the time, please leave a rating or review as it really helps. Follow Cover Meeting on Twitter, Instagram, and now threads at Cover Meeting Pod for news about upcoming episodes. Cover Meeting was hosted by Steve Leard and produced by James Ead of beheard.org.uk. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you join again soon for another episode.